Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Okay, let's pray. And then we're going to dig into the word today. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this time. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. And right now, we, we just focus our hearts, focus our minds on you. Jesus, we recognize that no matter where we find ourselves in life, you're right there with us. And I pray today as we dig into your word that you would encourage your people. You would build your people up. I pray that they would walk away energized for the week ahead. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this place. I pray that you would anoint my words. Let them be your words of what you want to communicate with your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So last week, we jumped into a new series. And uh, how many of you were able to get something out of last week? Like it challenged you, probably probably challenged you, which is good, and, uh, and hopefully encouraged you. Man, what an inc- You could literally, I think you could literally study Mary for like the rest of your life and get all of the principles out, of, like anybody in the Bible, really. It doesn't really matter. But there's so much in her heart of response and her heart of worship that's just so beautiful. And, uh, and today we're going to dig into the next one of those people that we were focusing on. Uh, but we talked about this, and, and, and this series is really centralizing around this fact. That in every situation, we can choose to worship. In every situation that we find ourselves in, we can choose to worship. Now, this is not always easy, right? I'm fully aware that we go through situations in life that are very hard. They're very challenging. We all have mountaintop experiences and we have valley experiences, right? We all have those moments in life when it's just like, man, it, it, God is good and we feel his presence and we're moving forward. Um, just, just as a side note, you see a bunch of people walking around today that have freedom shirts. Um, we just finished a two-day freedom experience uh, conference where the people who have gone through 12 weeks of the freedom small group, we, we ended that with two days of just impartation and prayer and deliverance that would be over their life and experiencing freedom. And I'm telling you what, that out of that time, there's people here today that have broken things off and allowed the Holy Spirit to break things off of their life, are experiencing freedom in ways that they ever have. And it causes us to be in this place of saying, man, God, you are so good. You are so good. It was an amazing thing to be able to see, but I also recognize this is what David wrote about in the Psalms. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of of death, which means, guess what? There's a valley of the shadow of death. That's really, really exciting. You know, I, I, how many times do you like think about it? David, why on earth did you put that in there for crying out loud, dude? Where's your optimism, you know? But there are valleys of the shadow of death. But even in that, our shepherd's with us and he guides us and he leads us. David is so amazing because as I look at the Psalms, and, and, and this is not, we're not going to focus on David today, but I wanted to, to do this. I felt to really um, impart this into us. David gives us a very, very beautiful picture of what it looks like to worship in any situation of life. Because you see, the, the, the Psalms were written to every emotional response that we would have and also every real life situation that we would have. It's both of those. 
And so as we look through the Psalms, the Psalms are actually broken up into seven different categories. And I want to give you these categories today because I really think that this is going to help you to be able to kind of quantify where you are in your life, right? The first group of Psalms is called the Wisdom Psalms. The Wisdom Psalms were instructive Psalms providing guidelines for righteous living. Okay, Psalms 1 is an example of those. There's a bunch of different examples of these types of psalms that really help us to understand the way that we live and the guidelines that we live. There's also royal psalms. Royal psalms spoke to David as a king, but ultimately what's really cool about the royal psalms is that they actually ultimately pointed to Jesus. Everything that anytime you read about a king and anytime in the psalms you read about this, it's all directed towards Jesus. The third type of psalm is this. It's the lament psalms. The lament psalms. Lament could be individual or communal. And what they were is they spoke and worshiped in the middle of this time where it seemed like there was the success of the enemy over David. David would find these times of worship in his life where the enemy was pressing in on him. And also, and you'll read this in the psalms, the psalms would, the lament psalms would come from this time of apparent silence of God. When David would say, God, I don't hear your voice. I don't, I don't feel your, the closeness of your presence. He would write these lament psalms. The fourth is the imprecatory psalms. Now, the imprecatory psalms are really interesting because, you know, we're told love and forgiveness and grace and compassion. And then you hear David and he writes these psalms that say, God, would you just bash my enemies' heads against the rocks? You're like, what in the world is wrong with you? Are you schizophrenic or what? But there are these moments where ultimately what he's doing is he's putting, he's putting his ultimate victory in the hands of God. He says, I'm facing an impossible situation, but God, you are my champion. You are the victory that I, that I need. You are the one who goes before me and goes behind me, and you are the one who takes care of all this. And so these are the imprecatory psalms. Then the fifth one, which we're very familiar with, in fact, most of the times this is probably the one that we're most familiar with, is the Psalms of Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving Psalms. The Thanksgiving Psalms are, are meant to draw attention to the greatness of God and his abundant blessing. These are the ones that, that a lot of songs are written about, right? There, there, there's, there's not a whole lot of songs that are written around the lament space, but if we read the Psalms, there's some, there's some beautiful words that are penned in that area of lament. But Thanksgiving Psalms is one of those. The sixth is pilgrimage Psalms. Pilgrimage Psalms. What were these? These were simply Psalms for the journey. Now, they were both spiritually and naturally because these were the songs as the, the people of God would journey to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals every year. They would sing these Psalms as they went. And it was Psalms like, I'm going to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Man, when I stood in the courts of my God, it was meant to stir something up in them as they journeyed to the house of the Lord to celebrate. But also, what's really cool about the pilgrimage Psalms is those apply to our lives. Because in our lives, we're all on a journey. Would you agree? 
We're all on a journey and different places in the journey. But in the middle of this, it's the, it's the declaration of the goodness of God that continues to move us forward as we continue to press. We're not moving to physical, natural Jerusalem for the Jewish celebrations, but we are moving onward and forward to the coming of Christ, to his second coming, to the inauguration of the new kingdom, to the heaven that's going to come here on earth, right? This is what we're moving towards. So when we read the pilgrimage Psalms, we can read with this faith that says, yeah, my God's good. And I'm going to stand in the house of my God. And I'm going to stand in victory. And there is nothing that can take it down. And, and we start to, to celebrate these things. And finally, the enthronement psalms. Enthronement psalms simply are this. They describe God's sovereign rule over all creation and his providential care. Now, I go through all that to simply say this. The psalms connect with every moment of our lives. I, I would encourage you that as we step into, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of a preview, not only are we going to have, uh, be talking about worship for the end of this month, but we're going to begin the new year talking about worship and just continue to move into the space of what God wants to do in this area of worship. What I would really encourage you to do is to plant yourself in the Psalms. Now, if you want a list of which of the Psalms fit into those different categories, let me know. I'd love to be able to get that for you. But as we plan ourselves in the Psalms, we can see that David wrote to every emotion, like I said, and every situation of life, giving us the ability and the handles to be able to grab a hold of to know how to worship in each of those seasons of life. David gives us the blueprint of what that looks like. If we're in a situation where we're like, you know what, I don't even, I, I don't know what to express both on a mountaintop and in a valley, right? I'm on a mountaintop, and man, you just, God, you're so, and I just, I, I, <laughs> David gives us words that we can be able to praise with. And if we're in the valley and we don't know what to say because it's the valley of the shadow of death and the darkness is all around us, David gives us some words to be able to connect our heart with to bring God worship in the middle of those. Because the thing I love about David is, he lived in every one of those spaces. He, he, he had experience in each one of those spaces. And he gives us this beautiful, beautiful picture of how to turn those situations into praise of God. David was multifaceted in his worship. It wasn't one-dimensional. We are not designed to continually live in one area of the Psalms because we live life and lots happens in life. And so for us, like David was multifaceted in his worship, we also can be multifaceted in his worship. And we can learn to live with that. We processed this statement last week. We said, don't always, we don't always get to choose our situations. David didn't get to choose his situations. And most of the time, things were happening in life that he had no control over whatsoever. But we always get to choose our responses. And this is the beautiful picture of what David gives us, of what that looks like in all of these different situations. Um, and it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Okay, so that's a little bit just to give you kind of a, a, a framework of how to go into these times of worship, depending on where you're at in your life. 
And what God's doing and where you happen to be journeying on in your life is to allow those things to really shape and motivate your worship. Because this is the thing that I look at David and there, there, there can be a circumstances life, everything that condition our worship, or we can use the situations and circumstances of life to motivate our worship. And as I look at David, I look at someone who he allowed everything that he went through to motivate his worship. Maybe it didn't look beautiful in mountaintop and Thanksgiving, but it was, it was still what he could muster up to worship. And so it's this beautiful thing that we get to be able to see, okay? That was for free. That wasn't who we're talking about today. Now we're going to move on to that. Okay. We are going today to be talking about um, one of these people who had an interaction with Jesus um, at his birth. And we were going to talk about two, but, um, well, that's not going to happen. So uh, we are going to look at uh, Simeon today, Simeon. Now, the reason I say not both is because a lot of, you know, these two stories, Simeon and Anna, are put into the same space. But as I was preparing, God was really just wanting me to, to focus on Simeon specifically and his response and, and what was going on in his life. And, and so that's what I'm going to do today. We're going to focus on Simeon and look at his life and look at um, who this man was. Because here's the really cool thing, and this is what I loved as I went into it, that was actually a little discouraging at first. Simeon was an ordinary guy. There's nothing special about Simeon. In fact, there's not actually a whole lot written about Simeon. He wasn't some uppity leader in that he was just a guy. And the name Simeon had a, it was very, very commonplace. But, but this is what I love is because it allows us to be able, amen, in Jesus' name. It allows us to be able to connect with that because you and I are ordinary people. And so I love looking at Simeon's life because as I started to dig in more and more, I was like, man, this was just an average guy. But what a beautiful song of worship that he brought. We're going to start reading about his account in Luke 2 and verse 21. I'm going to read the chunk of scripture like I did last time, and then I'm going to pick it apart today and give you some thoughts, okay? Verse 21 says this, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus the name given by the angels before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, was finished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Just kidding, two young pigeons. Just trying to make it relevant to right now. Just trying to make it relevant. Five golden rings. All right. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. 
His father and mother were amazed at what, he was, at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. A sword will pierce your own soul and the thoughts of many hearts, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Super encouraging for Mary. I mean, crying out loud. If I was there hearing that, I'd be like, for real? Dude, you got nothing else in there? Like, all this wonderful stuff about Jesus, and then your side is going to be pierced, so sorry. Anyway, there's just, she knew it was coming. Um, so Simeon, Simeon, what I want to do today is I want to take um, what's called um, an, an exegetical approach to the scripture. Exegetical approach is this. It's simply going line by line and pulling out the content that's there and give a little bit more depth behind things so that we can have a deeper understanding of what was written and why it was written and the context of which it was written in. Um, it's, exegetical is just a really, really fancy word for figuring out what's behind what's being said, right? And I want to do this because uh, there's some really, really powerful things that are in here. Simeon is included in this story of Jesus for a specific reason. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just happened to be because that was the day that they brought him to, to be dedicated, but he was brought in and he was in this story for a very specific reason. Like I said, he was ordinary. There was, there was, there was nothing special about this man except his response. We're going to jump to verse 25 and start to just pull a little of these things apart so that we can kind of understand where Simeon's response of worship came from. Verse 25 says, starts with this. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem. Now this is, this is going to seem like, wow, you are really poking it, pulling it apart here, but just go with me. Okay. The first point that we pull out of this is there was a man. There was a man. What's significant about this? The significance of this, sorry, that was rhetorical. Everyone's like, do we answer? <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Here's what was so powerful about this. God continually looks at us to see if there was an ordinary person who would remain and continue to believe in the middle of the waiting, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of storms, in the middle of unanswered promises. There was a man. When God looks at your life, the testimony of our life should be that God sees us remaining. In the middle of all the unanswered stuff, we remain. Now, this is why this is really important. Because in Ezekiel 22, it says this, that I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one. Simeon was a man that had learned how to just simply remain. We don't know. Scripture does not allot us or afford us the ability to know how long he had been waiting. But we get the idea from reading it that he was well along in years. He, he, was, he, had, he had walked through life and, and, and he had this promise that God had given him, but the years just keep on a ticking. But what God was looking at is he said, when I look at Simeon, I see a man. I see a man. I see a man who remains. 
I see a man who stays faithful. I see a man who, whose heart continually is after me. In the middle of the unanswered, in the in the in between, between the, when the promise was made and the promise was fulfilled, he remained faithful. He remained faithful. This is what God is looking for in us. The second thing we see is this in this verse is that it was a man named Simeon. Like I said, he was an ordinary man. He was really, really commonplace by any of the, the, the scholars that you read about and the historians. There was nothing special about him. There was nothing fascinating about him. He didn't have any, any crazy special superhero powers. Like he was just an ordinary guy, except for one thing, one thing. This is what the Bible says. There was a man named Simeon, and this, name, this man was righteous and devout. So what did God look at? He looked at an ordinary man living in the middle of the in-between of the promise of God and the fulfillment of God who had said, you know what? I'm going to live a right life. I don't have control over when the promise is made. I don't have control over when the promise is fulfilled. I don't even necessarily know. I mean, God said, I'm going to see this promise fulfilled before I die, but I'm kind of going on faith here. But the only thing I do have control over is how I live my life today. Now, now, hear me on this. Righteousness and perfection are not the same thing. Okay? There is nothing in the Bible that says that you have to live a perfect life. There is nothing on earth that says you have to have it all figured out and in a nice little box. There's nothing that says when we read this that says that Simeon was righteous, that it says, oh, he was just perfect in all of his ways. No, I imagine because he was a human being, I imagine that he had some messed up situations and things in his life. But we live today righteous because of Christ and because of the work of the cross. And, and here's the cool thing. The cross transcends time. You, you have to understand, Simeon lived before the cross, but yet the cross still functioned in his life. The cross was still something that actually worked in his life and that he lived in this place of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply this. It's right standing before God. Simeon said, listen, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do all this, God. And I'm, it was just my birthday, and I'm another year older. Don't know if you noticed this. Got another gray hair, you know. I don't know how you're going to do this. But, but I'm going to continue to live in this right standing before you. It's a place of faith. It's a place of declaring with our hearts, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter the choices that I've made. It doesn't matter all the things that have happened that I think disqualify me. I have right standing before God because of Jesus Christ. And that's where we live. Here was an ordinary man that was right before God because of the cross, because of the work of Jesus. You are an ordinary person who has right standing before the Father because of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged with that today. Take the weight off of your shoulders of the need to perform, the need to be perfect, the need to have it all figured out. I would say even this, take off the weight of needing to try to figure out what this season is all about for your life. Take that off. Just, just let that go. 
you don't have to know. You don't have to know the season you're in. Because what you do know is you have right standing before the Father. You have right standing before the Father. I don't know, God, how long am I going to do this? How, how long? Time keeps on ticking into the future. But I have right standing before him. This was Simeon. This was the power of Simeon. God sees the ordinary and the common one who remains attentive to God and is upright. Now, here's the next thing about Simeon. The next phrase. He was looking forward. Simeon was looking forward. Hear me. In not knowing how God was going to answer something, when he was going to answer it, the timing, the way at which it was going to go, all of these things, Simeon continued to posture his heart and his mind to look forward with anticipation for what God was going to do. Here, here's the package. Simeon was an ordinary guy, nothing special about him, except he had right standing before the Father. And because he had right standing before the Father, he continued to look forward with anticipation for the promise to be fulfilled. See, see God has given each of us promises and things that he has spoken into our lives, and it's up to us to decide if we will continue to look forward to anticipate those things. Because I tell you what, right now, the enemy will come to try to rob those things. He will come to try to tear you down. He will come to try to tear you that, tell you that you didn't hear from God when you actually did. He will come to try to dismantle your entire faith. But what God's looking for is to say, will I find somebody who's remaining faithful to me, who understands their positioning before me because of Jesus and continues to anticipate what I'm going to do? This is the faith. This is the life that God is looking for us for. He has his part. I've talked about this before. God has his part. The fulfillment of the promise and the fulfillment of the things he said he's going to do, that's all on him. We have nothing to do with that except our posture before him and whether we will look forward with eyes of faith to what he said that he will accomplish. So, you know, when we, when we look at all of the end times and we look at these days that we live in, there's a lot of unknown. Um, you, I'm sure you could talk to every person in this room and every person in this room would have a little bit of a different idea about how you are anticipating or expecting the end times to go. There's all kinds of stuff. And new stuff is put out all the time, right? But the one thing I do know is that in the middle of all of it, we don't need to have all the answers. We don't need to have it all sorted out in our minds. The thing God's looking for is to say, but are you continuing to look forward with expectation for me? God, God, there's, there's just so, have you seen the world I live in? Yes, of course. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world, right? There's nothing that surprises him. Yes, he's seen the situation. Yes, he has seen where our culture is. Yes, he has seen where our world is. And yes, he sees that we are coming closer to the end times than we ever have before. And we're closer now, and we're closer now. Like, it just keeps moving forward. But he says, listen, are you going to look at all that stuff and all the uncertainty and trying to figure it out, or are you going to look at me? Simeon looked forward. Now, what was Simeon looking forward to? Well, let me, let me do this first. This is a really good verse. In Romans, 
Paul writes about Abraham. He says this, that Abraham believed hoping against hope. Simeon hoped against hope for the fulfillment of the promise to take place in his life. He was getting older, didn't know how it was going to happen, didn't know how all this was sort of going to work out, but he looked forward believing, God, you said it, so I'm going to believe it. Despite what I see, despite what I live in, you said it. Why would I doubt? He hoped against hope. You guys good? Next thing. That is what I already said. Next thing. Simeon was looking forward to the consolation. He was looking forward to the consolation. And I put a capital C there for a reason. Because consolation simply means this. Encouragement and comfort. It's the Greek word paraklesis. But do you know what he was talking about? He was looking forward to the consolation, the encouragement, the comforter. You know what he was looking forward to? Jesus. He, wasn't, he, he was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise. He was looking forward to the one that could answer all of the other questions in life. But he was looking forward to the consolation. He was looking forward to the promise that was going to come. What are we looking forward to? In your life, I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I looking forward to? Have I, have I got my eyes focused on looking forward to something? Or have I got my eyes focused on looking forward to someone? This, this is the difference around this. Because when we get our eyes on the someone, the some things will take place. The way he does it and the way he wants to do it and all of that, and we understand and we're submitted to his will and how he wants to do it. But we look forward to the consolation. Guys, I, I want to tell you this this morning. We have some really cool things to look forward to. Let me just let me give you a few of these. We have Jesus to look forward to. We have the coming of Jesus. My son asked me the other day, Dad, what's Jesus' horse's name? I don't know. I, he's coming on a white horse. What's that horse's name? I, um, Bert? I, whatever you want it to be, you know? We're looking forward to Jesus. We have heaven to look forward to. Guys, we have heaven to look forward to. This earth and everything that we live in is broken and messed up. And if you haven't noticed, it's falling apart more and more all the time. We have heaven to look forward to. We have, oh, praise the Lord. Somebody better get excited about this one. We have glorified bodies to look forward to. I tell you what right now, I'm so looking forward to my glorified body. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, as long as I don't have to work out, that's the big thing. <laughs> just kidding, that's just flesh speaking. <clears throat> we have our glorified bodies to look forward to, and we have the reward of being with God because of Jesus to look forward to. Yeah. To stand in the presence of the Creator. Man, we have that to look forward to. 
And it's just this amazing thing that we get to do. Now, all of that are the things that we get to look forward to. We get to have our eyes focused on. Those are, those are the, the Simeon was, was, was looking forward to those things. But here's the other thing that I find so beautiful about Simeon's story is this very next phrase. It says that, and the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was with him. Get this. This is the powerful thing. This is what is so cool about God. There is a coming consolation, encouragement, comfort, salvation for our souls. And we have the consolation, the encouragement, the comfort, the salvation for our souls now. How cool is that? It's not just Jesus saying, hey, look forward to what's coming down the road. It's going to be really good. Hang on for dear life. Hopefully you won't fall off the bus before you get there. He's saying, no, I've given you the Holy Spirit right now. In the waiting, I've given you comfort. In the middle of the unanswered prayers and the unanswered promises and the unfulfilled things that God has yet to do, he says, I've given you a comforter right now right now to hang on to. Simeon lived in this beautiful balance. Listen to this. He lived in the balance of the here and now and the yet to come. The here and now and the yet to come. And this is true for us. We live at this moment in history, December 11th, 2022, almost ready to jump into 2023, which is just insane. We live in the here and now and the yet to come. There is the promise of the fulfillment of everything that Jesus has ever written or ever, ever said and everything that's ever been written in the Bible, every prophecy that's gonna come true, everything that's gonna ever take place. We live knowing that there is going to be the fulfillment of those things, but also that there is a right now that the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in our lives right now, that we are not left alone right now, that we are not just left to say, well, someday it's gonna be all figured out in the future, but it's right now. There is a peace and there is a hope for your life right now. There is a comfort for your life right now. We look forward to what God is going to do and we look here. And here's the beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit was the down payment of what's to come. Meaning we are not experiencing the fullness of the promises that God has for our life. We experience a down payment, a part. Ephesians 1 says this, that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. You see, it is possible for us to live with the unanswered prayers and the unanswered promises and everything that we're looking forward to and to be comforted right now, to look forward with hope and to answer, to have an answer and have peace right now. We have both of these things working in our life. You see, this is what we look forward to. We look forward to the fact that there is no, there's going to be no more tears. We look forward to the fact that there's going to be no more sadness. We look forward to the fact that there's going to be no more suffering and no more pain. And, and, and we look forward to all of these promises that God has given us. And we receive that there is a down payment, a deposit of that, that we can have today. Does it mean that all the pain goes away? No. But in the middle of that, we have a comforter who will help us right now. Who is with us 
right now. I'm so thankful for that. Anybody else thankful for that? And it's not just future speaking, but we have that right now. And the sixth thing, the Holy Spirit revealed to him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him. He revealed that Simeon would not die before being able to see the promise fulfilled. And that's a great promise. And that's amazing. Maybe that happens in our life and maybe not. It's up to God, his providence, his sovereignty with some of the things that we're believing for. But the point is that the Holy Spirit revealed something to Simeon. Here's my question for you. What has the Holy Spirit revealed to you? Maybe it's something small. Maybe, maybe it's, it, it's in seed form. But what has the Holy Spirit revealed to you? And have you held on to that? Or has it kind of gotten ripped out of your hands a little bit? What's the Holy Spirit revealed to you? Well, Jason, I don't, I don't necessarily know if the Holy Spirit has revealed anything to me. Okay, okay. Sounds like it's time for a lament psalm. God, you are apparently quiet and I do not hear your voice. So I'm going to worship out of a place of lament. And I'm going to worship out of a place of sadness until I have the revelation of what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to me right now. He has something powerful for you that he wants you to know right now. The goal is not to walk through life without the word of the Lord. The goal is that you would have the word of the Lord to hold on to. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) We have the word of the Lord to hold on to. He's given us this to be able to hold on to, to anchor our souls to, to anchor our spirits to. The Holy Spirit revealed to him. Now, here's the deal. Um, The Holy Spirit is always speaking. But there's a very, very real battle going on in our minds right now. Because there's this voice of the accuser that continually comes in and lies to you. That God isn't good. And that he won't speak. And that you're on your own. And even would lie to you to say that there isn't comfort right now. That, that is going on. But there's also the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. Now here's the cool thing. When we ask, we can have God the Holy Spirit move in our life to be able to process and to be able to understand what he's speaking into our life right now. Okay, I'm gonna wrap up here. The seventh, guided by the Holy Spirit, Simeon saw the promise fulfilled. He was submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and in the timing of the Holy Spirit, there was the fulfillment of that. Now here's the thing about the fulfilled promise and this is what I want you to know, right? What was Simeon holding in the fulfilled promise? A baby. Meaning that the fullness of the promise was yet to come. Simeon was holding on to the seed form promise. It was the beginning work of the promise being fulfilled in his life. 
Can I tell you right now that some of you might be in this place and all you have is the seed. All you have is the seed of the promise that God's spoken into your life. He's fulfilling the promise in your life, but it takes a bit for that to build out to the fullness of what God has. And sometimes like Simeon, you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I am holding the fulfillment of the promise and it's a baby that was going to grow to be the savior of the world and the savior of his soul. So what's that thing that you're holding on to? Simeon's response of worship, and then this is where we're going to end, and then we're going to, we're going to sing and, and close it out here. Simeon's response of worship did a few different things. Number one, it acknowledged the master. It acknowledged Jesus. It put him in a place and a posture with saying, I'm not the boss. He's the boss. I'm not in charge. He's in charge. And Simeon declared this. He says, now master. Actually, I'm going to read it. Um, where did my notes go? Lane, I'm going to go back to Luke 2 there in uh, the, the Passion Translation. There we go. says it really cool. This is Simeon's response. Lord and master, I am your loving servant. And now I can die content. For you have fulfilled your promise to me. With my own eyes, I have seen your word, the savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for your people, Israel, and the revelation light for all people everywhere. This, this, this was so, so cool. He said, Master, you know better than me how all this is supposed to work out. And all I recognize is that you have fulfilled your promise. But I surrender to you. I'm your servant, and I recognize that you are the master, and I acknowledge that. The second thing that he did is that he, uh, Simeon acknowledged and the fulfilled promise and declared the coming of the Messiah. In our lives, our takeaway of worship is the acknowledgement of the fulfilled promise, even if it's in seed form. Even if, by the way, what we're declaring about a fulfilled promise is a prophetic declaration about a future promise to be fulfilled. There are times in our lives when we might not see the promise that's fulfilled right now, but we can actually believe and we can prophesy those things. We can actually declare that because God has said them that they will come to pass. If we have, a, if we have somebody in our life, there's a prodigal, a, a family member, a, a child or a, a loved one or a spouse or a brother or sister that doesn't know the Lord, we can declare the promises of God. We can declare the prophetic sense that says there is a promise and I'm gonna stand on that and I don't see it. And there's no reality of that right now, but I am believing against hope. I am hoping against hope that because God promised something that he will bring the fulfillment of it. It's the belief system that, that, that God is doing something, that he's in charge and the declaring of the Messiah. I tell you this, that every time in our life, boy, every day, every day, we need to declare the coming of the Messiah in our world and in our life. I don't know about you, but I need a savior every day. I need the Savior's work in my life every single day. And I need him to move and I need him to speak. And so if I'm going to call it out every day, I'm going to declare the Messiah is here and the Messiah reigns and the saving power of Jesus Christ is at work in my life and is at work in the world today. I may not see the situation changing. It may look bleak and it may look dark, but my Jesus is here. It's believing that and declaring that. And finally, Simeon declared that the Messiah is the light and the glory. He's our light. He's our shining light that illuminates the way ahead of us. 
He's the one who prepares the way for us to go. He's the one who sets us up for where we're gonna be. And he's also the glory of the Father revealed to us. Simeon lived in the here and now and the yet to come. I think Jesus has something for us in this place. I want to ask the band to come up. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get ready to close and sing a song as we do. But um, I, w- I want you to just hear this over your life this morning. That there are promises and things that God is fulfilling in your life. Loved ones, people that you want to see come back to the Lord. Provision that he said that you haven't seen yet. Peace that you haven't experienced yet. There is a promise of those things. There is a promise of the breaking off of shame. There is a promise of freedom from guilt and condemnation. There is a promise of those things. But we live in the here and now. So Holy Spirit, help me to live right here without the answers, without without the things, maybe in the middle of a lament situation. We live in the here and now with the comforter and we look forward. How many of you say in your life that there are some things that... um, you're looking forward to that you haven't seen the fulfillment of yet in your life. Okay. I want to I do this. Why don't we stand? Um, and I'm just going to pray over you today. Here, here in just a second. I want to do one more thing and then I'm going to pray. Um. If you're, if you're here in this place, whether you're in the room or you're listening online, and uh, there's the, the answered promise or the, the, the promise that I want you to hear from me today is that the Savior came, died on the cross for your sins so that you could have a right relationship with the Father. The, the promise is salvation. The promise is that you are saved by grace because of the work of the cross and you live in this place of sanctification which means continually to grow in a spiritual maturity before God. The promise is the price for your sin and your shame has been paid for. That's a promise. You can take that to the bank. Not the bank here, but the bank of heaven. If you're here today and, and you're not currently walking with the Lord and maybe you're searching and you're trying to figure out all these things and you've got some unanswered promises, maybe to the point where you've seen so many unanswered promises that you, you are having a hard time quantifying the fact that there's a good God and that he actually has a plan for your life. I want you to know today he does and he loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for you, a plan to prosper you and to give you a hope and to give you in a future. If you're here in this place and you are wanting to receive the love and the grace of Jesus Christ into your life, I want to lead you in a prayer. 
And it's the beginning steps of a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to leave you in a prayer. We're all going to pray this together because we're a family and families pray together, right? And so we're going to pray. But if you're at this place, you're saying, I want a relationship with Jesus. I'm far from him right now. But boy, man, that comfort sounds really good. That encouragement sounds really good right now. I want you to believe that in your heart. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And repeat this after me. Jesus, I'm here today with all my baggage, with all the sin, with all the shame, with all the guilt. And I just lay it at your feet. And I declare today that I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again and you conquered my sin, my shame, my sorrow. It's gone in the name of Jesus. And I receive today your love and your grace in my life. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for maybe those who prayed that for the first time today?